Welcome to Russian History Retold, Episode 167, Famines in Russia and the Soviet Union. Last time, we covered the final years of the life and the death of famed Russian poet Alexander Pushkin. Today, as you can tell, we're going to cover a completely different topic. But before we start, I'd like to tell everyone to hang on to the end of the podcast because I'm going to be making a major announcement about it. And it's quite important. Starvation and famines in Russian history were a major factor in shaping the society and culture we've covered over the past five years. In researching this topic, it was hard to come by information on many of the famines, so I'm going to focus on five major ones. The one that hit most of Europe as well as Russia in 1315 to 1317, the famine of 1601-03, which coincided with the time of troubles, the last of the Russian famines of 1891-92, to the first Soviet famine of 1921-22, to and the one of 1932-33, to also known as the Holodomor. Famine and drought were commonplace in the history of Russia, with droughts hitting every about five to seven years, and an outright famine hitting about every 10 to 13 years. Now, as you might imagine, part of the problem is that most of Russia, especially before the spread southward at the time of Ivan IV, was the short growing season. If anything, like unusual long rains during the spring, or a drought at the beginning or middle of the season, there was just no way to grow a second crop like you can in places like the United States, Europe, or other more temperate zones. The first famine we're going to talk about is one that caused the death of millions of people throughout Europe. It is known to history as the Great Famine of 1315-17. to Europe had just gone through a big population increase over the previous, previous few hundred years, as it was in something known as the Medieval Warm Period. Now, this lasted between about 950 and 1100, carrying on to about 1300. Now, this is nowhere near as warm as the temperatures we're seeing today, but it was warmer than what had occurred before and after. Following this was a time known as the Little Ice Age, which went on from 1300 all the way up to 1850. In Europe, the drop in temperatures in an unusually wet spring in 1315 precipitated the widespread crop failures, which led to millions dying of starvation over the next two years. One reason for the problem was the population growth that was unsustainable given farming techniques of the day. The bad weather exacerbated things to the extreme. In Russia, the cold and wet spring, the cooler than normal summers, and brutal winters made things almost unbearable for the people, especially the poorer citizens. One thing Russia did have going for it, it didn't have the same population problem as Europe did because of the tremendous losses of life during the Mongol invasions. Now, causes of the change in weather have been thought by some to have been precipitated by the explosion of Mount Tarawera in New Zealand. The volcano was very active for about a five-year period during that time in history. The second large famine in Russia was the most catastrophic in terms of the percentage of the population that died. During the period between 1601 and 03, it has been estimated that fully one-third of the population died from hunger, or about two million people. It was the time of Tsar Boris Godunov, 
who is losing his grip on power in large part due to the inability of the government to feed its people. It also marked the beginning of the time of troubles which began with Boris's death in April of 1605. This famine was due to incredibly harsh winters and summers whose cause remained a mystery until a paper was published in 2008 revealed that a volcano in Peru, and I'm probably going to pronounce this completely wrong, Huyanapatina erupted in 1600, dumping tens of millions of tons of material in the atmosphere, causing a volcanic winter to occur. Of course, people in Russia were completely unaware of this, and instead blamed it on God's vengeance for Gudunov, murdering the young Prince Dmitri. This started the rumors of false Dmitris popping out of the woodwork like a series of bad movie sequels. The problems that were being faced in Russia when the bad weather hit led to what you might call the perfect storm. In all of my research, very few writers of Russian history brought the following issues to light as a cause of the famine, but it should have been very apparent. Now, the policies of Ivan the Terrible led to many peasants fleeing their farms from about 1550 to 1584, heading to the borderlands of Russia despite threats of severe punishment for those who got caught. This caused a major and serious manpower deficiency, which worsened matters when the weather went bad. Another great loss of population occurred in the 1550s because of reoccurring outbreaks of the plague. Now, some might argue that more people might have died of famine had there been a decrease, not been a decrease in population, but losing so many agricultural workers compounded the problem, in my opinion. One major cultural and societal change occurred starting around this time due to food shortages, and that was the increase in the evil institution that was known as serfdom. Now, there are many reasons why famine would cause this institution to gain hold in Russia, but here's one. Ivan IV made it harder for anyone to leave their farms for the reasons stated previously. With harsh conditions, the lowly peasant had little chance of feeding his family if there was a bad harvest due to poor weather conditions. Because of this, many engaged in the process of self-serfdom, or voluntarily allowing themselves to be taken into bondage, in the belief that their masters could better take care of them in hard times. So, many Russians took this route instead of risking death by starvation. Now, here's an example of how weather events and natural disasters can change the course of history for millions of people. Now, while there were many more localized famines throughout Russia over the years, the next major catastrophe occurred during the reign of Tsar Alexander III. One I mentioned in the podcast about Leo Tolstoy, the famine of 1891-92. to as with the famine that was coming up a few years later, 1932 to 33, the government tried hard not to let the rest of the world know what was going on. Tsar Alexander thought that his government could handle things without any foreign help. But, as we know, he was terribly wrong. The government by this time in Russian history was corrupt as well as being terribly inept. Also, Russian agricultural methods were still medieval in nature, far behind the rest of Europe and North America. They didn't use much fertilizer at the time as there was only one agricultural school to educate the populace. And that seems kind of amazing, just one school with a nation that was so dependent on their agriculture. 
poor transportation systems made it difficult to get food to the regions that needed it from those that had extra to spare, compounded the situation. Add to this, like the famine of 1315, here Russia had the highest birth rate in all of Europe, kind of the opposite of what happened before, and you had all the factors that would lead to disaster. In 1891, in the Volga River region, there was a particularly dry autumn, which is when seeds are planted to rest over the winter. Well, knowing that Russia has pretty harsh winters, you would think that's a kind of a dumb thing to do. But actually, the snows served as a blanket over the seedlings, so they wouldn't be subjected to the severe cold that is normally seen. The problem that occurred was a lack of snow that winter, and was followed by a very windy spring. Those seeds that weren't killed by the frost were scattered by the high winds along with any rich topsoil. The summer of 1892 saw no relief as some areas, like the city of Orenburg, saw no rain for over a hundred days. Hunger and starvation began to spread from the Volga regions to areas in the Urals and Black Sea. The government, not wanting to look inept, as I mentioned before, censored any newspaper that dared to suggest that a famine was occurring. Leo Tolstoy, as you may remember, galvanized the aristocracy into doing something about it, and he opened a number of soup kitchens with his own money and money donated by the wealthy to help his fellow Russians out. Now, stupidity here, the church put out edicts telling people to not go to a Tolstoy-funded kitchen because he had been recently excommunicated, and by accepting his generosity, you were now in team with the devil. The insanity continued with the government allowing food to be exported to other countries through August of 1892, knowing full well that it was needed by their own people. The early response by the government, which was way too late, was to ask that people volunteer to help out their needier neighbors. This weak response led more and more people to become totally disenfranchised with the Tsar and his ministers, which led to a growing mood of revolution in the air. Many say that this was the spark that eventually led to the downfall of the Romanovs and the fall of Tsarist Russia. What we will see next is that as bad as the Tsar and his government were in avoiding a famine, the Soviets were to create situations that were far, far more devastating to the general population, and in particular to the people of Ukraine. The next major famine began under Soviet leadership 30 years after the beginning of the previous one, 1921-22. Russia, as you know, had just emerged from World War I and the Russian Civil War. The countryside was devastated as was the Soviet economy. The famine to hit the same areas of the Volga and the Ural River regions was to kill over six million people. A drought was engulfing the affected area, but more importantly, the civil war had wreaked havoc on the farmers of Russia and Ukraine. All the sides in the war, the Reds, the Whites, and the Anarchists, took whatever the peasant farmers had and gave it to their troops from the onset in about 1918 until 1921. Because of this, the peasants planted less, which compounded the problem. The Soviets and Marxists of the time, and some to this day, claim that the kulaks, or the rich peasants, withheld their supply of grain, which was something that Stalin was to use in the future in order to purge the country 
of these so-called enemies of the state. Others claim that this is absurd, except for the fact that much of the grain that was to be had was on the black market, so it came from somewhere, and many of these kulaks from the rich peasants were probably the sources. But in reality, some of the Bolshevik claims of hoarding was true, but not nearly as great as they claimed. Another problem was the poor state of the railroad system in Russia after three years of civil war. The transport system was partly destroyed, and what trains and lines were available were mostly used by military units. The rest of the world, though, as much as they didn't want to know, they were really aware of the situation and wanted to help. Now, one was the American Relief Administration, headed by the future president, Herbert Hoover. The offer to supply food was made in 1919, but had a stipulation that his organization would control the distribution of the greatly needed supplies. Lenin, of course, rejected these terms outright. By 1921, with the outbreak of the Kronstadt Rebellion and other internal issues that threatened the very existence of the Bolsheviks' hold on the government, Lenin was forced to change the economic situation by introducing the new economic policy, or NEP, on March 15, 1921. He also opened the Soviet Union to outside relief aid, as the situation had gotten completely out of hand. A conference was held in Geneva, Switzerland, on August 15th of that same year, under the auspices of the International Committee of the Red Cross and other organizations, to discuss how to distribute the aid. The British public raised large sums of money, and by September, a ship carrying 600 tons of supplies had dispatched from London. The material arrived in Sartov in October, and by the peak of operations, over 375,000 people were being fed. By 1923, the famine was for the most part over, but the toll on human lives was almost incalculable. Estimates range from a conservative number of slightly under a million deaths, which seems ridiculously low, knowing what we did about how bad things have gotten, to an official number of around 5 million. Now, some believe that the official Soviet number was half of that true figure of 10 million lives lost to starvation and disease. What the real number is will never be truly known. But what can be agreed upon was that the suffering was immense. Politically, many believed that Lenin was okay with the famine, as he believed it weakened the peasantry, a group that was totally unsupportive of the Soviet regime. Lenin used the situation to begin to tear down the influence of the Russian Orthodox Church by ostensibly taking their assets to spend it on famine relief. In reality, of the first four and a half million golden rubles seized by the Soviets, only one million was really used to relieve the famine. Now, one of the reasons for this is the church had a very large influence over the peasants, so attacking it was a double whammy against the large part of the population that Lenin viewed as potential enemies of the state. The situation of peasant unrest and being seen as enemies of the Soviet Union was a setup for the next famine, which was to strike the country in 1932-33. This famine was almost entirely man-made, it was one of the great atrocities and human tragedies of the 20th century. In Ukraine, it is known as the Holodomor, the hungry mass death, or extermination by hunger. The toll on the people of the Soviet Union was enormous, and is considered by many to be an act of genocide. Somewhere 
between 2.5 to 7.5 million people in Ukraine lost their lives, with millions more in the Northern Caucasus, Volga region, the South Urals, Western Siberia, and Kazakhstan, many of these dying of hunger and disease. The mass extermination of Ukrainians, in particular, was on the scale of the Nazis' genocidal behavior toward the Jews during World War II. While researching this particular famine, I was shocked to say the least by the behavior of the Soviet leadership. This was, in my opinion and many other historians, a calculated action to first squelch any nationalistic behavior by the Ukrainian people, of which there was a lot going on. Secondly, the forced collectivization of agriculture throughout the Soviet Union was an unmitigated disaster, and they knew it. Instead of taking control and modifying their plans, they did what they always did best, find scapegoats. They blamed the kulaks or the kokhozes or the collectivized farmers. They claimed that they were committing acts of sabotage to bring down the Soviet government. To counter this, many peasants would turn against those who they viewed as enemies or people they didn't like and then rat them out to the Communist Party officials. Many were executed or sent to labor camps in Siberia. Then a law was introduced called, quote, the Decree about the Protection of Socialist Property. The name given to this law by the farmers affected was the Law of Spikelets. What it did was give Communist Party officials the right to confiscate as much grain as they wanted from the peasants, leaving them with nothing to live on. If you were found with any hidden grain, even if it was rotten or spoiled, you were accused of theft of socialist property and would be punished severely. On top of this, the Soviet government did not let the word of the famine get out to the rest of the world, although there were rumblings from a number of journalists that there was indeed a problem going on. One journalist, though, Walter Duranty, a journalist who served as the Moscow bureau chief of the New York Times from 1922 to 36, wrote papers denying the famine. In fact, he was awarded a Pulitzer Prize for, it, for his work on the conditions in Ukraine. Many believe he was a tool of Stalin's. His work was denounced years later by the publisher of the same newspaper, the New York Times, Arthur Oakes Salzberger, Jr., and this was done in 2003, and he called upon the Pulitzer Prize Committee to renounce the award, which for some strange reason they refused to do. And what's interesting about this, we didn't know the extent of this famine until after Glasnost and Perestroika, where things were opened up and admissions were made about some of the horrific times back in the, the days of Stalin. Now, even when Khrushchev denied Stalin and denounced him, they never said anything about this famine. So it wasn't until about 1981 that we actually knew that something like this had happened. Now, I'm going to end the discussion of the Holodomor, not because I think I've covered it in depth enough, but quite the contrary, because I was going to devote an entire podcast series to the event within my History of Ukraine, which will be the next series in the Russian History Retold podcast. So I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Join me next time as I begin to retell the story of the history of Ukraine and its immense importance in the history of Russia. So now for the big announcement. Well, I've decided that while I love the podcast and the tens of thousands of listeners, as well as the great banter at the Facebook page, I have to set a target for the conclusion of the podcast, as my life, especially work, has gotten tremendously more complicated. 
but in a good way. Now before everyone panics, the target is still a ways off. My last podcast will be episode 200, which will culminate in a recap series of the Russian Rulers segment of the podcast. Basically, I'm going to go over everything from episodes 1 through 117 in a kind of a different manner and talking about things that I've learned over the past five years from when I began this big project, which I thought would only last one year and 50 podcasts. But this means there's going to be at least another 33 podcasts left, which should take another year or so, depending on my work schedule. Still, lots more Russian history to come. So now, as always, Tasvidanya и спасибо большое.